0: Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and Greek. I'm Steve Ryder in the lion's den with, honestly, with honestly, one of my favorite guys in the Colorado Springs area, Joe Gersey. Joe, welcome, my man.
1: Steve, it's an honor, buddy. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah. excited. So, I've
0: always loved you always thought the world of you i mean for the first time i met you it was like just connecting and then there was one time one year ago like earlier this week or last week where i happened to be in southern california you happen to be in southern california and we got together you have a little trailer fifth wheel that you took out there and you parked it at a state park wasn't it like
1: right yeah. right next to yeah. lax right Duck on the beach Wyler. Yeah, Doc Weiler State Park, right on the beach. And we
0: sat yeah. back and we had a cigar, and it was just—it was yeah. just an amazing conversation and just some really good time hanging out. And
1: it was rich. It was. It was, it was yeah. so good.
0: I'm so glad that we were able to get that done. So first question: What you smoking?
1: I am smoking a Providencia Spectrum. My first one. I'm here. It's one of the newer lines. I'm a I'm a Providencia guy anyway. Uh, Dear friend that was involved in it for quite a few years. So, Reed yeah. Reed Grafke. Yeah, absolutely introduced me to him. And uh, actually, JD introduced these to me at a, at a Wild at Heart boot camp. And it was the uh, El Santo mm-hmm. box press. Yeah. And it was simply amazing. So I had to get a hold of Reed. It took me a year to get him to respond, but I got a lot of good cigars out of that. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have an Aroa Maduro, and uh, I got five of these off a cigar bid, and Mm. I had it in March, my first one back in March, uh, based on the recommendation of the tobacconist there at the little cigar lounge in Madison, Wisconsin that I checked out, and uh, I really liked it, and so getting Five of a month cigar, bed. I'm really happy.
1: It does it does look rich? Nice dark wrapper on it. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's, and it's
0: a full Maduro too. So, oh, the, so the, nice. bind, the binder, the filler, wow. and the wrapper are all Maduro, and so it's just it's got this rich, full-bodied flavor that I just that really is good with my palate. Yeah. So you are a Southern California kid.
1: I am born and raised. Uh, when when these young kids come up and say, yeah, I'm from the OC. I usually tell them I am the O.C. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm an old guy. You know, we kind of we kind of developed that whole thing back in the 50s, yeah. 60s, and 70s. So, what yeah. was it like growing up there? Oh man, it was uh, unlike today. Um, it, it it was wonderful. We we'd wake up. We had the sun-kissed orange grove packing plant just down the road. So the back fence was nothing but you know smell of orange blossoms you know and yeah. in the in the spring and summer and you know we get to run and play through that i mean it was it was you know leave the house open you know go have fun you know there were no restrictions you just you just came home when the when the cowbell rang you know <laughs> literally you, my you,
0: your mom had a cowbell my
1: mom i now own that cowbell my mom also had a cowbell
0: <laughs> and she'd ring it for dinner that's exactly we'd, we'd, we'd hear it and, all right yeah.
1: it's dinner time it was great if we didn't hear it the neighbors would hear it and they would it would be like a little you know deal going down the community gersey it's time to go home gersey it's time to dinner you know so we we got the message we were never late so yeah well yeah. when you're a kid a growing boy. Yeah. Dinner is like <gasps> finally. <laughs> finally, yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it was laid back. It was easy going um, back then. But you know, I think just about anywhere in the country, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, we we didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of you know worry and care about you know we just wouldn't had fun. So, so yeah. what kind
0: of home did you grow up in?
1: I grew up in a mixed home. Um, really funny. My mom is a PK, but never really, you know, took us to church a lot. It was, church was um, the holidays, basically. Easter, Christmas, Christmas, you know, just kind of a, you know, she thinks we need to go there. My dad, on the other hand, uh, he grew up as a confused young man. He was a Mormon Catholic. Mm. So, half the family was mormon the other half was italian catholic so it kind of it rubbed him um not quite in the right way mm-hmm. so his christian life wasn't really a christian life until probably i guess i would probably say the last 15 years and he is an amazing man now i mean working with prison ministries in his mid eighties. And, you know, so he, it took him some time to see the light. You know, I've got a brother that's a pastor. I got a brother that's a proclaimed atheist, you know, and then I've got a couple others that say, yeah, there's a God, but you know, I don't have time to go worship him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. So,
0: play. what kind of home did you grow up in then? I mean, what would your parents do? And dad
1: was dad was an oil refinery guy for a lot of years. His dad his dad owned uh, an oil refinery in Long Beach, California. He started off in the Navy and then kind of went to work for his dad and um, and then he took a job. You know, his big job was Xerox Corporation as a director of facilities for Xerox Corporation, and you know, so it was it was a um, very stable but strict household i mean there's five kids so to feel the love to try to get it to go around was not an easy thing to do for both of them i don't think they truly understood you know it's just like i got five kids and i'll give them what i can give them but you know we were involved we were involved what
0: and what were you involved in growing up sports I, I did academics. I did
1: baseball a um, little offended that my dad would go coach somebody else's team instead of coach mine you know I was like dude I'm your son you should have been over with me but you know just kind of in that realm a um, lot of criticism about how good or how bad you play but never real coaching in it I mean it was even though he was loving he was a very angry man very angry man. I mean, mm-hmm. you could touch him off. I mean, and and, and knowing his story now um, and his childhood growing up, it was not not easy for him at all. So,
0: what was that growing up for him?
1: 14 kids, a dad that lived it down two doors down in another woman's house while you know mom's taking care of, just kind of catting around. You know, not being a father, not being. Mm-hmm present go and do it on your own so when he hit 18 he just signed up and went in the navy and left so Hmm.
0: how did his anger affect you as a kid did you take that anger and or did you withdraw or something else
1: it was an eggshell thing for me and and probably my my brothers not so much my sister but you know the first couple of us We knew what not to do. And if we did, we knew what the consequences were going to be. Even if it wasn't anything bad, it was, you know, you got him mad. Don't wake him up. You know, I'm working second shift. I don't want to hear you in my house. You know, go out and play. Don't come back until I'm gone to work. You know, just stuff like that. You know, just it it was. But again, on the flip side hey, we're going camping, and we're going to go fishing, and you know, so I mean, he played kind of both sides of the card type thing. Very, very hard man, but at the same time, he really tried to do his best to get us to grow. So, um, as far as mine, I, in my younger days, yeah, I started adapting um, some of that anger, some of that um, resentfulness and stuff, but we learned. We learned. Talk about your mom. My mom. Um, my mom probably wounded all of us more than my dad did. She was a coddler. You have four boys. It's adventure time. We're going to climb the curtains, you know. We're going to go do crazy and dangerous stuff. And, and she would handcuff us from, you know, that ability it was kind of oh i you know i don't think you need to be doing that no take that towel off your back you're not jumping off the roof today well come on you know what other what kids didn't so um you know or wait till your dad gets home he's gonna he's gonna just he's gonna paddle you and you know and i think it was because she was so protected um, from her dad being a pastor he was very very strict and very very protected of her um, she was the middle child of three. She had an older sister, her and then her younger brother. Mm-hmm. So but he uh, he was a good guy. I mean he he kept to himself. He was a very quiet man. Um, he passed way too early, passed at 66. Um, stage four cancer took him. so it was, uh, it was a shock um, to hear Over that phone right call. Well, 66 makes me 11 years old at the time, and wow. their bedroom was right next to ours, and, you know, landlines. And, you know, so when my dad answered the phone and then my mom got the news, I mean, you could hear everything through the walls of the house and everything. So it was it was not a real nice night for us, you know, to hear that. But, uh, you
0: know. Were your grandparents involved, your other grandparents involved in um, your lives?
1: My mom's side of the family, um, yes, we would be visiting them quite often. Um, Where were they Grandparents, at? they were in Long Beach. Okay. Everybody kind of stayed in the Long Beach area. I, my family, not very adventurous when it came to getting out of California. I, I guess I could be called the black sheep of that one. <laughs> you know, just I needed to get out of the rat race and everything. So,
0: When did your family settle in Orange County in California?
1: Oh my gosh. Um I would probably guess we came family came into the country in 1901 from Italy and they went in through Ellis Island so we're, you know, red blooded Americans and uh from there they kind of migrated Chicago Uh, Philadelphia and started kind of moving west so I would I would probably say that it was probably the late 1920s that they were they started coming into California Mm -hmm. and kind of owning the ports and the docks and all that stuff it was uh it was a very um interesting Italian family very interesting Italian family. Half of them were deported back to Italy and told never come back to the United States. <laughs> and my grandfather, my dad's dad's father, um, was smart enough to be legitimate in the businesses that he did. So, um, yeah, there's a sketchy side and there's a you know there's a good side to it. But it was it was a true you know migration of true Italian family coming to America. <laughs>
0: So high school, where, where'd you go after that?
1: Oh my gosh, um, I mean, I we settled, let's see, 1956. My dad bought his first house just as he got out of the Navy. Um, I was born in 55 and moved into that house. And we lived in, I mean, we all grew up in that house. It, my My folks sold that one. When I was long gone, you know out of school, out of college, all the stuff they they sold that and then moved out on their own and did their own thing so I would probably say the late nineteen eighties they stayed in the same house mm. and they added on and you know so it just, it grew with the it grew with the family and everything, but yeah, it was the same house, very stable, you know, settle in and Not wanting to go anywhere else. And I think that was my dad more of, I'm tired of moving around as a young child with my dad, you know, and this, that, and everything that went on with it, that maybe I'm going to try to make this a little more stable than I had. Mm -hmm. He did did a fair job of that. So, yeah. So what did you do after high school? Oh, my gosh. After high school, I went to college. It was a small little community one in Huntington Beach, California, called Golden West College and i was doing um, um criminal investigation kind of cop work type stuff i had through high school i worked with and uh, got to ride do the ride-alongs with the garden grove police department and Santa Ana police department just kind of kind of had a vision that maybe i wanted to be a a police officer you know and so i started doing that and my dad got me a job at xerox of all places So I started working there for 10 years. Um, So the college kind of backed out. I got married at a young age. I think just turned 20 got married. Um, So I kind of backed the college out of it and went to work for for Xerox for 10 years. And they were having some major layoffs all of a sudden. And they were offering people 10 years or more severance packages um, to leave. So I took that. And that was the start, that was 1983, and that was the start of my career as a government contractor doing uh, different types of work. Uh, I would call it technical security. So 1983, I stepped into a company and got to start a uh, government security uh, career. And in 1984, I guess it was probably February of 1984. I was asked if I would like to take the opportunity to train with the FBI in counterterrorism because the U.S. Olympics were coming to Los Angeles for 1984, and I guess it was B- Berlin was the four years earlier where there the terrorist attacks and you know things went on. So we were they were concerned, and I had some friends that gave me an opportunity to get into that. So that kind of got me into my. Career of government, government work. So yeah, I traveled all over the U.S. You know, doing threat assessments and inspections and just all kinds of fun stuff. So what were you doing with Xerox? Xerox, I started off with Xerox as a uh, line technician, um, soldering little microchips for their uh, computer systems, and it was more of the division I was in was more of a um, breast cancer detection. They were kind of like innovators way back in the day of having all of this. So I was in the line of doing all that and through the years got promoted and ended up as a uh, facilities manager in one of their divisions out in El Segundo, California. Okay. So.
0: And then the yeah. government contractor stuff really gave you a chance to get back into
1: the police investigating, yeah. you know, because that, that's where my desire, my love really was. was kind huh. of, you know. I, I, I I, had, I,
0: how did that come about? I,
1: it was really strange. Um, I wasn't married, I was recently divorced. And this young lady said, Hey, I've got this opportunity that I think you'd be a great fit for over at uh, this company called Argo Systems, which was a young uh, defense contractor and we really need somebody, we've got a brand new facility, and I think you know you could come in and take over our facility. And I was like, okay, let me talk. So found the, how lucrative that kind of business was as far as what pay and everything else came along with it. Uh, but once they found out what my background was, I was kind of rushed through the the facility part and found somebody that could do that and they put me into their physical security so background investigations a lot of inspections of subcontractors their materials making sure so that's kind of how this started to grow and then to have another friend you know come up and say hey I really think you might be interested in looking at this with the FBI part and it was like yeah I did so that, that excited me, and then that got me into more of the, um, and I, I can't give names, but I can tell you that breaking in in the middle of the night to classified work facilities to test their operating systems and their security is quite interesting when you are trying to stand back up with an M16 in the back of your head. Yeah. So, you know, or a shotgun, or you know, you, you think you see them moving. So, but our team was tasked uh, me and another uh, retired uh, Marine, a uh, gunny gunny sergeant. We would go all over the country, and we would break in to you know contractor classified facilities, military installation facilities, and test their systems. <laughs> What kind of setup did it, and what kind of
0: preparation and who was involved and who knew? So that way, that way it wouldn't que- escalate.
1: Good, and- good question. Um, we would always talk to the director of security for that facility. Yeah. And then we'd pull, bring in their security manager mm-hmm. and say, these things are happening. You can't talk about them. This has to be, you know, all impromptu. We've got to know how well you're protected. And
0: uh, Did you let them know when you would be doing it?
1: And no. We would just tell them that it's coming up and that we need two forms of contact if we can't get, because this is going to be in the middle of the night. And if you don't hear your phone ring, you wear earplugs, you know, we need to call somebody that's going to say, yes, indeed. Uh, these individuals are authorized and you are being tested. So, yes! <laughs> wow! <laughs> and there were a couple. There were a couple times where it took some really, some real good convincing. Where they, they got your boot in the back of your neck and you're on the ground and they're saying, "Quit talking!" And it's like, "Okay," you know. So that was, I think that was the exciting part of it. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of policies that have to be written, a lot of procedures reviewed. I mean, uh, helping a lot of these facilities to design, build the facility that they're going to work in and make sure they're complying. You know, that was all the boring paperwork stuff of it. Yeah. So when we got to go test them. It was, uh, it was a joy. It must have been an adrenaline rush. <sighs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, especially when you think you know what they're doing, you, you see a blacked out. Truck going down, you're going, okay, they're on the east, okay, they're going to be probably circling around this way. And then the next thing you know, the rooftop behind you has got three or four guys up there with fully loaded automatic weapons. Are watching you. And they're, you know, get on the ground, and then all of a sudden, guys come out of it's nowhere warm. and knocking you down on the ground so yeah it uh there's a lot of adrenaline there please you know you find a tree before you break into the facility <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was area
0: 51 ever one of your no I, and, and besides that
1: i could never confirm or deny that information no no area 51 was never in any of my deal this was just you know yeah. the different contractors out there yeah. that, that did business with, uh, U S space command. I can say that part of it, that, uh, I did most of the stuff through the U S space command, um, contracts. And how long did you do that job? That was my career 20.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then I came to Colorado and, uh, Became just like a general contractor builder, you know. Just took my experiences from helping design these multi-million-dollar facilities and say I can take this into, you know, home building or a commercial building and you know project manage stuff like that. So I did that for quite a few years here. When did you come to Colorado? 1998. Okay. Yeah. It was
0: a booming time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was took it, off. Did it You t- come to
0: t- the Springs area.
1: Right into the Springs okay. area. Yeah, we. Uh, still live in the same house that uh that we purchased back then so yeah yeah wife came out here before i did um she was the one that had the uh you got 30 days to move she's also a government contractor and the contract that she was on she enjoyed it but she wanted to come back Colorado. this is her roots right here they're they're pioneers of this state so this is her roots and business that i had to conduct out here i told myself Years ago, before I was even married to my wife, that I was retiring in Colorado. That this is where I retire. And I got to do that a year ago, July. So (laughs) dreams come true.
0: (laughs) So how did you meet your wife?
1: That's a story of its own. Um, One of the agencies that I worked with, we were um, doing a back then, computer security seminar on how to classify. Now, this is going to date me, how to classify floppy disks. (laughs) You know, how do you compartmentalize on a floppy disk, the different classifications of, you know, material and all that good stuff. And this was in 1991. And she was sitting up, this fiery redhead sitting right up in the front. And um, we were speaking on this thing. And I know I was just finished up my portion of it. Um, John was about to do his. And she raised her hand and she said, it can't be done like that. We're going, wait, what do you mean? We're, We're the government. We're not asking you. This is what we're telling you you're going to have to do to classify and compartmentalize. And she goes, but it cannot be done that way. So it started this big O, you know, bantering back and forth between our team and, and her, basically. And so we said, okay, we're going to sidebar this thing for a little while. So we had discussions with her, and come to find out she had some very good points. Seminar ended, she left. About a year later, we're doing the same one, only with new points in this thing. Who's sitting up in the front row? Fiery Redhead. I said there's something about this Uh, and it was probably three or four months after that that I ended up getting the contract on her organization she worked for Ball Aerospace and I ended up getting the uh, contract on the security inspections compliance so I was kind of that compliance officer on the government side that came in and Did the inspections, and I thought that was just kind of the weirdest thing that all of a sudden, you know, here I am with that. So we started dating, um, long distance dating. Um, I was in New Mexico. She was obviously here in Boulder, Colorado. And we dated uh, for about a year. And uh, kind of an off and on thing. And then uh, one day I just said, you know what? Can't do this anymore. And I flew out to California, and I proposed and said, uh, now let's go to our prospective organizations. And because she had since left Ball, and now she was uh, over at um, um, U.S. Space Command um, working for Trident Data Systems, who was bought by Viridian, who was bought by General Dynamics. So we just, we went to our prospective companies and said, we're getting married, he who comes up with the best package first gets, you know, and turns out her organization um, picked me up a week before mine could even come up with an offer. So we, uh, we got married and uh, two years later, we had our beautiful daughter, Rachel, and uh, here we are today, you know, two gorgeous grandkids, now in uh, North Carolina at, at yeah. Fort Bragg, son-in-law leaves on November 5th. He just finished uh, 82nd Airborne training. So now he's part of the 82nd Airborne Army. So he's, uh, he's getting ready to leave our house now and get back out with the family where he belongs. Mm. So That just kind of brings us into you know, perspective of family. You're
0: really involved with John Aldridge's ministry, Wild at Heart yes how did that start how did you get involved
1: oh that was um years ago discovery dcc church um we're no longer participating in there we're we moved on to a different church but,
0: but you were one of the very very early well, yeah I help mean, you help
1: plant the, help yeah. plant moved it around box you know church in a box moving from elementary schools to high schools and all that good stuff our lead pastor left and we had associate pastors you know, after about, I guess, five years or so, the lead pastor wanted to go back to Florida. His, both his daughter and his son um, got married, and then they were going to have, you know, both sides. Now he's got grandkids coming, so they moved to Florida. Um, so we had associate pastors kind of bouncing back and forth, trying to keep the church afloat, and it was, it was struggling. We really thought that, you know, maybe we're going to lose this. Um, so we did some interviewing, and um, we came across the, uh, a man named Greg Lindsay who is an amazing, amazing pastor. He got a group of us, 12 of us, you know, 12 knuckleheads, kind of like what Jesus ended up doing, and saying, I've got this idea. He says, I read this book called Wild at Heart. I want everybody on this team to read Wild at Heart, and then I think we're going to launch this in the church as part of the growth and you know how to talk to people bringing jesus into the story with their life and how it pertains to ours today and how it all you know kind of melds together so we did this and then uh it was nothing short of amazing um and he says okay now i've got us all signed up for a boot camp and this was 14 years ago 15 years ago and uh, went to my first yeah 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 went to my first boot camp and my eyes were opened i mean to um, the woundings that a man will take over the years the love lost the rescuing of a beauty you know just the whole masculinity story of what's been lost since the fall you know and how complacent we became and and it struck me. So I said, hmm, I want to do this again. So the next year I applied, and because we have a dear friend there and I won't give up a name, I was able to go a second year by myself, which was even more amazing because now you're, you're doing it on your own. Your quiet time's your time. You're not with a group of men, you know, just kind of bantering and going back and forth. I mean, unpacking's great, but sometimes you need that. And I even got more out of that and my heart just kept growing more and more for rescuing men and bringing them back into the fold the warrior that they were made to be so needless to say i did three on my own two basic boot camps one advanced boot camp and then i have worked on the uh, work crew um, volunteer team and intercessor team um, for let's see i've done somewhere between 16 and 18 mm-hmm. camps over the years. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Describe what Wild at Heart Boot Camp is about for people that aren't familiar with it.
1: Oh my goodness, um, wow.
0: And why should someone consider it?
1: You should consider it, especially if you're a man of God. I mean, if you are trying to get that foot into Jesus' footsteps as close as you possibly can. This will wake you up in what we call a non-religious, you know, it's not, it doesn't have that religious veil. It's very relaxed, and it takes you through a process of your life and helps you realize and unpack. The damage that has been caused from your childhood to who you are today—it helps you unpack that, helps you release that, helps you renounce the agreements that may, you may have made with with the devil. On you know, well, I'm I'm not that good. I'm just an idiot. You know, those are agreements, and those agreements are footholds, and those footholds, are what Satan's looking for to get in. So we're opening the eyes of men to help them become a warrior. Against that for their own personal being and then beyond that to then help others um, grow into it. So a four day camp in the mountains, which may not be for everybody, but four days up there of discussions and adventure is simply amazing. I mean, if you haven't done one, do it find one you know that I know that with the COVID that's going on they're not doing them anymore but there are basic boot camps that are starting up um, which I guess kind of leads into my leads into my little commercial here that we are launching the first Colorado Colorado Springs Wild at heart basic boot camp this February Uh, we've got a great team they are all uh, ransomed heart alumni and work crew folks like myself and we've got a great center up in the mountains that can put you in the middle of adventure and we're going to do a thursday through sunday afternoon you know boot camp just like that team would do for them so yeah we're uh, we're really excited about that it's a message that needs to be out there it needs to make more warriors more men to come alive and understand how God made their heart, what he made their heart for, and then take it out there and do that. You know, I tell people, I ask them, what makes you come alive? And what is your heart's passion? And I'll give them a couple days to chew on that before we come back for the next study. And, and typically They'll give me the answer and say, well, what am I supposed to do with it? And I say, go do that. Whatever makes you come alive, go do that. That doesn't mean quit your job, quit your, you know, your life with your family or anything. It means find a way to do your passion. What makes you come alive? I tell everybody, mine is fly fishing. You know, I I have a ministry. I teach fly fishing. I take brokenhearted pastors. I take men out that that are, you know, kind of questioning their faith. Get them in the wild. Teach them how to fly fish. Unpack the heart, you know. Men come alive when they get outside of the four walls. You know, that's what it's all about. Getting out of the walls and just unpacking the life and diving into their heart because people don't do that enough. Share their story. Share your story. You know, stories, I would say story is the most important. Out of all of this wild at heart, going in and absorbing all of this and understanding it and wanting to work with it, that's secondary. Number one is your story, sharing that and not diminishing any part of it because it's your story. It's who you not are but who you were and now what have you become through that story and then sharing it and releasing and it just it helps you unpack it takes away a lot of the pain a lot of the hurt and believe me we all carry some pretty heavy crazy stuff and we're no different than one another we are not
0: now you have carried something that you didn't even know about
1: Yes! Wow! Yeah, that
0: just kind of just came up.
1: I was struggling with my story. I mean, my story is long, and I would share it with anybody that wants to sit down over a big stick and you know, good bottle, be just wonderful. And I started seeing a counselor. Um, very, very very good counselor um his name is sam joelman if anybody in the colorado springs area is you know thinking that they need to talk to somebody sam is the man i mean i just i spent five years with this guy and it took that long to really unpack it
0: what drove you to even start to see sam in the first place wild at heart
1: really Because you're going so deep into your soul, into your mind, you know, Jesus will only give you what you can handle. That's, I mean, that's exactly what it says. So you're not going to get everything hit you at once. It would break you down and just destroy you. So with that, it just kind of, I said, you know what? I need someone that can help me unpack and walk me through you know, and, and Sam came highly recommended through the uh, ministry, so I went there. And I really thought that I had a good handle on that. I don't want to say I'm ashamed because, you know, again, I don't want to diminish my story. But as I started getting into my teen years, some of the things that were said to me, you know, some of the woundings from my dad, you know, I'd be standing around, he'd be doing something, you know, and and I'd be in the garage with him, but I'd have my hands in my pocket and he'd just stand there and look at me and go, what are you doing? You playing with yourself? Why are your hands in your pocket? You some kind of faggot or what? I mean, just things like that. And I was like, I don't need to be here, you know, I'm a teenager, I'm going to walk off. So I, I didn't, do anything process it I just kept putting it back in my mind put it back in my mind and uh as life went on i i um started kind of medicating you know through my teenage you know 20 some years you know 20 into my early 20s i don't want to say 20 some years i'm just into my early 20s And it led to other things, you know, with women and everything else that, you know, now I've got to prove myself because I'm not gay, you know, why would even think that? So Sam kind of helped me unpack all this thing. And I thought I was there. I truly thought that, man, breakthrough, I'm there. But then it all. Yeah. But then, gosh, pause, hesitate I'm coming back from a project in Golden, Colorado and it was late and I'm coming down C470 about 85 miles an hour because I, I wanted to get to the church. The women were going on their very first women's retreat. I wanted to be there with the pastor and the team and just kind of, you know, send everybody off and all that good stuff. I, I said, OK, Jesus You have fed me a lot. You've shown me a lot in my life. I am so grateful for all the healing. You know, this is just, and and so I'm just talking through this. And I asked, is there anything else, anything else that I need to see, to work on? What's left? And buried, buried way back, way back. and, And, you know, psychologists will tell you this it happens. It was buried so far back into my subconscious subconscious that I just didn't know what to do except basically slam on the brakes and pull over to the side of C-470 and cry my eyes out. Um, When I was about five, six years old, I had an older cousin. He was like 13, 14 years old. And we were over visiting, and he'd asked his folks if I could spend the night, and they said yeah. And there's my aunt and uncle, and my mom and dad were there, and you know everybody you know said yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, you just send him home. We're just around the corner anyway. And that night. um. And I couldn't name it for almost five years, and I don't know that I want to even use that kind of language that I said to Sam. I don't know what you what you allow or disallow in this thing. You allow everything. But um, it took me about a year and a half to actually name it. I skirted around. He touched me. He molested me. He, you know, and and what he really did, and Sam just. He just, he pushed me, he pushed me, and he pushed me. That one day, he knew we were on an edge, and I did not even realize it. But basically, I just said, What do you fucking want me to say, asshole? That I was raped? Okay. I was raped by my cousin. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man. The release that came from that. Mm-hmm. The love that came down from Sam from Jesus opened it all up the floodgates everything released i still live with it today i still tell this story to all the men because there are men out there that have gone through the same thing that are just
0: too ashamed
1: they're to too talk ashamed about to it. talk about it and so was i for a lot of years that's why i buried it so much but to have that breakthrough and then to know it's time it's time to release that to other men. Maybe they will mm-hmm. say, you know what? I need some help too. It happened to me. And I'm I have- am sure you've heard that. A lot. Really? A lot. It is unfathomable. It's, there's no excuse for it. Yeah, just, it was wrong. It was just wrong. But with that release, came a whole new me at that point how so i didn't have the anxiety that i always felt wondering what what is this what shoes going to fall next you know what's going to happen analyzing everything before it can even be done now it's it was i've released it and said you know what God's got this. He's got this. We're going to let him take it and go from there. I am not going to force it. I'm not going to move it. I'm just going to take me and say, lead me on. I'm ready for this. I am ready to just move in whatever direction you you move me. I'm not going to make my, I make my own decisions, but not without counsel now. So, yeah a lot less of the bull in the china closet. You know, I'm, I'm a big guy and people, you know, I'm very, very uh, opinionated, but I try to take in consideration and I like to listen and all that stuff. Before it was more of my way or the highway, buddy. You know, that's my opinion, it ought to be yours. And that release kind of turned my direction and my devotion and the love for my wife and my kids and just move me down the line saying i need to use this i need to share this i need to make this part of my mission in life Mm. so i
0: kind of your wife and kids notice a difference
1: oh yeah oh yeah big time big time like what have they said to you well Let's back it up to right after this thing with Sam was about the time that Reed and I, um, we spent a lot of time in his backyard um, during the weekdays uh, with Monette and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we would just be sharing back and forth. I mean, it was just a whole lot of Jesus and a whole lot of love in there. But he then said, you know what? I got to go. It's Wednesday night. I got to go to a thing called Holy Smokes. And I said, hmm, what's that? And he told me about it. So I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go have cigars at Holy Smoke. She goes, I know, you know how I feel about cigars. Boeing only allows us to have one cigar a month or they're going to charge my, you know, insurance $50 more, you know, for you to have more than one cigar a month. I said, yes, dear, I understand. But as the time went on, And I spent the time with men like you, men like Reed, Paul. I mean, there's so many names out there that we'd take up too much time trying to get them all. My wife and my daughter would make sure on a Wednesday, even if I look like I was deadbeat, you're going to Holy Smokes. Mm. The change in who you have become from where you were at to what you're doing now, you cannot ever miss out on. Mm. And my wife still today will call me from work and say, you are going to Holy Smokes tonight, right?
0: <laughs> <And> yes, dear. <laughs> yes, I am,
1: yes, I am. And she finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about you smoking so many cigars, but go do that, mm. go do that. So they've seen a big, a significant change in, in who I am and what I believe and how I'm walking, you know. These men, these men and women um, in this organization have, have been life-changing for me too. I mean, so, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: Joe, what advice would you give someone who they've been through a trauma like you And for years, they've just been avoiding it, stuffing it down, ignoring it, not addressing
1: it. But are aware of it. Yeah. Seek help, find counseling. Whether you find a professional counselor or you find a group that has been through this, that they're unpacking on it, Or if you have a dear friend that all the trust in your world, and I've got a lot of those because they're hearing my story, um, release that. Talk to Jesus. Have Him bring you a confidant, a man that can listen without condemning. And that's, I mean, that's a hard to do. I mean, you don't want to believe that your best friend's going to condemn you over that. But believe me, I've told the story before and, you know, some of them just kind of blow it off. Um, So it's a trust issue. But to heal from this, you need to speak on it. I just say find someone, professional non.
0: And what are the dangers if they continue to stuff it and ignore it?
1: Oh my gosh, they know the dangers. They're in the middle of the dangers. I mean, you're constantly proving to yourself that what happened does not make me gay, but yet I'm stuck in the middle of a pornography site trying to prove to myself that I'm not, that this still excites me. You know, and it just gets deeper and deeper. And medicating could come into it, could be a factor already. You know, mine was in my younger years. I got smart, you know, and was able to have a career in the government. So that was a non-issue. And I was one of the lucky ones that could just walk away from all of that at an early age and not look back. But there are men out there that are struggling with alcohol and drugs right now. Because they're struggling with that in their heart right now. And I think the first step is you've got to get that story out and talk about it and how it affected you.
0: Before we get to rapid-fire questions, Mm -hmm. can you pray, I guarantee you right now, there's a listener right now, at least one, that you've pricked their heart and they need the courage to be able to make that step
1: i had and you know i'm one of my dearest friends that just passed mm-hmm. you know we weren't done we spent so much time together unpacking who he was and who he wanted to be mm-hmm. and you know i still tell them we're not we are not done We're not done. There are a lot of men, I won't name anybody, but there are some men out there right now that um, they just need Jesus. They need him. Can you lead them in a prayer? I can. I'd say, Jesus, you know my heart. You know my heart for men. I chase after them. I, I want them to recognize who they are in your eyes not in the eyes of other people, not in their own eyes of their past, but in the eyes of You, Lord. They are loved. You are their true Father. And they need Your arms around them now, Jesus. They need Your love. They need Your strength. They need Your counsel, Jesus. So I would just say, come, into their hearts, help them find the individual or individuals that can help them to understand, help them to unpack, to help them heal. That's the most important. We need to heal our hearts. Jesus, I ask you, you know the men that I am speaking of. You know who they've become, let's help them become the true warriors that you Jesus are looking for to battle against the evil one. Your name. Amen. Amen. Joe Gersey, let's get to rapid fire questions. Rapid fire questions. Hey everyone, before we get to
0: the rapid fire segment, I wanted to talk about a way that you as a listener can support the show and the growth of Holy Smokes by becoming a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash Patreon is a support platform and for as little as $5 a month, you can get bonuses like ad-free versions of these podcast episodes, Holy Smoke swag like t-shirts, and more. That's patreon.com slash holy smokes. We're looking to get 40 Patreon supporters at an average of $10 a month. And once we hit that, we'll be able to pay for all the costs for hosting, editing, writing, posting, I won't be paying for that out of my pocket or through the volunteering of my own personal time. And as we grow that number to 100 and 150, 200 patrons, we'll be able to do two shows a week, hire a part-time assistant, web developer, record on location and around the world and more. I want to visit groups and get those stories from so many of you listeners that I hear from. I want to go to Seattle, and I want to go to Dallas, and I want to go to Charleston, South Carolina, and I want to go to Kentucky and Chicago and Phoenix, Atlanta, D.C., Charlotte, back to Southern California, and more. We want to help grow your groups and plant new ones for those of you in areas without active groups. So can you help us out? Become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash holysmokes. There's a link in the show notes. That's patreon.com slash holysmokes. Or if you want to make a one-time tax deductible gift, go to paypal.me slash holysmokes club. That's paypal.me slash smokes club. And both of those links are in the show notes. Thanks. that stick treating you
1: I uh, didn't get to smoke a lot of it since I've been talking a lot Um, I'm about halfway through it and the flavor is very consistent it has a nice little sweetness to it but not sugary it's just it's the tobacco in it is is um, it's pleasant it I enjoy I'm enjoying it
0: providencia spectrum yes When did you first try Cigars
1: or Pipe? Oh, my goodness. I have been doing cigars from my government career time. So, early 1980s. Yeah. What drew you to cigars? I think at the time, it was just the group of men And I was actually the cowboy ranger at the time, if you will. These guys were more of the sage. They were older than me. So I just kind of wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. But I found that having a stick and conversation was really cool. Mm -hmm. It was more than just puffing on a cigar. And believe me, I was a rookie for a lot of years, you know, and and, uh, had some bad sticks, some good sticks and, you know. But yeah, it was the camaraderie watching these men together. And I'm going, I want to be part of that. Mm. So mm. I said, hey, can I try one? And that was kind of the beginning of the end. It just kind of, here we go.
0: You're a cigar guy, but do you do pipe as well?
1: I tried pipes. Um, I'm really, I don't like hanging and holding it like that. I, I don't like the, sometimes the bite. I mean, I've had some good tobaccos, I've had bad, just kind of like cigars. It just, it doesn't appeal to me as much as the cigar does. Favorite cigar? Oh, my gosh. I got a top five list, but the number one on there is a Cohiba Bahiki 56. That is my, I I, uh, started cutting my teeth on that one back in the mid-80s, and... Once I got that, I mean, it's, a, it's one of the most consistent. First, third, second, you know, third to the end of it, it's consistent. The flavor is just the same all the way through, which I enjoy. There's no biting. It's just, it's easy, easy draw. I
0: got a box of those from
1: a dear friend.
0: And I tell you what, whenever I gift them to someone, I, I don't pull them out very often, but I'll usually, I'll have one. I'll have a few out of a box, but I usually just like to gift them to people. And right. Everyone right. just loves it. Yeah, absolutely loves
1: yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. If you were to label that, I, I call it the crack cocaine of cigar connoisseurs. I mean, once you've had <laughs> one, it's like, I got to have another. So yeah, it's, that's my number one cigar, though. Most
0: expensive cigar you ever smoked?
1: It was a nineteen. 19- I want to say 1926 padrone and i don't remember the name of it reed gave it to me and when he told me how much he spent on them i almost fell over backwards but it was better than fifty dollars a stick yeah so yeah that's probably uh, the most expensive one that i that i've ever smoked best dollar for dollar cigar that you get i think Best dollar for dollar that I enjoy is the uh, Oliva V Milano. Mm. That is a very tasty stick. I keep those uh, in several lengths and sizes and shapes in my in my humidor. I keep those, I carry those in my herfidor uh, <laughs> as a go-to because it is a very, very tasty cigar that's not going to break the bank.
0: Yeah, I've got, I just got a box of those. On Cigar Bid, mm-hmm. I'm about halfway through that box, and they're they're good. They're a really good stick.
1: I'm about to try a new one coming from Cigar Bid called the Represado '96 uh, Habano Solomon. Mm. So I've got a box of 20 of those coming. They're going to be interesting because they're 7.1 by six, 60. So I mean they're.
0: <laughs> That's a couple-hour stick. It's,
1: it's a big stick, but I've heard very good um, really? reviews on it, so I got it at a great price on free fall and said I'll just I'll buy times two. Save one two. for me. I
0: want to try it. I will do that. I will do that. Your go-to place to
1: get smokes. My go-to place um, is Habana, but locally, I will... I, I like the folks down at Smoker Friendly. Um, I know the owner. She's a sweet lady and, and then got friends that work there, Zane and all that. So, yeah, a little plug for Smoker or Not Smoker Friendly, but... Um, Stag? Stag Tobacconess, I'm sorry. Yeah. Smoker Friendly, you know, I'll, I'll do business with, but yeah. yeah.
0: Your Splurge Cigar, I'd assume the Cohiba or something else?
1: Uh, my Splurge Cigar is the 1492 linea siglo 6 which is the 500th anniversary of cohiba uh, the cigars so that's my splurge cigar favorite liquid pairing with your smoke i have a very eclectic palette i mean it, it can vary depending on the mood the day i do enjoy a um, nice peaty single malt though I grew up, my dad is a single malt guy. I grew up on single malts. So I love the Islay, you know, peatiness of a Laphroaig or a Ardbeg. Ardbeg's a little rough sometimes, but, you know, just, I just, I like that little smoke, that little extra smoke flavor. Most interesting person
0: you've ever met through cigars?
1: The most interesting one is the owner of Armstead tobacco in fayetteville north carolina the man has 45 years of cigar industry and to sit down and listen to the history and everything it 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 was an eye-opener and so yeah this yeah if you're ever in that part of the country that is the go-to place and you won't be disappointed Especially if you sit down and and talk with with Al.
0: Most memorable cigar experience?
1: My most memorable, and I really wished he was there, but I was at a small little four-man retreat over on the other side of Edwards, Colorado at a place that doesn't exist anymore called Yarmody Ranch. And I was sitting outside with handwritten memoirs from Lieutenant General Hal Moore. Reading his stories, because I, I, I actually stayed, the room that I was in was called the Hal Moore Room. He, they did a lot of the wounded warrior stuff up there uh, for a lot of years and Hal came to kind of bless the place and be part of it so yeah. I, I was lucky enough to score that room and the books and the little diaries that he wrote in while he was there interesting I would have loved to just been having that stick that I was having with him instead of you know his books mm. so yeah
0: Marvel or DC
1: Marvel yeah Marvel Star Wars or Star Trek <sighs> you could flip a coin uh, um, I like them both. Uh, yeah, I've seen them both. I'm I'm not a huge fan. I don't no. want to offend anybody, but yeah. I enjoyed you know both of the um, sides of it. So yeah. Favorite food. Favorite food. Oh my gosh, I'm a meat eater, baby. Yeah. Um, and an excellent grill master, so, by the way. Whenever
0: and, you are are at the grill, I know it's going to be some good, tasty meats. And
1: I'm about to do it again tonight with my to answer your question, I have a uh, Santa Maria tri-tip oh. in my homemade rub, marinating out for the grill tonight. Oh. So, yeah, that's, well, well, I think well, well, that's well. my favorite, is the Santa Maria, nice choice, just tender as can be, juicy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you've had those before. So, oh, it's yeah. so good. So, yeah. so good. Yeah, that's my favorite. Dogs, cats, neither or both? I have a dog, my wife has a cat. I won't let my wife hear that because I'm not claiming the cat. Um, I have a chocolate lab that was a rescue. But I think the dog rescued me more than I rescued the dog. How long have you had? Nine. He's nine years old this month. He's got a nice gray goatee going on like mine now. I mean, looks just like his dad. He's smart as a whip. He, he listens. He understands what I'm saying. Sometimes it shocks people to go, wait, that dog just do? Yes, he did. He, he, under- he, <laughs> he understands. I mean, people have got dogs and you know, animals that, that understand like that. I mean, but he just, he's special to me. He's very special.
0: Mm. Nickname growing up.
1: Me? College. Oh, dude, I had, I only had two nicknames. They shortened my last name to Gers. So everybody say, hey, Gers. And funny, you should ask that because I was going through looking for a book that I wanted to reread. And I found my old high school yearbooks. And everybody that wrote in there didn't write Gers or Joe or anything. They wrote pastor or preacher. Excuse me. They wrote preacher. Who knew? Who knew? That I was going to take that walk. I mean, I'm not a preacher per se or a pastor per se, but I have that heart for it. And I never really realized it until I reread all these things that people were writing, you know, over my high school years through those you know yearbooks and going, preacher. Wow, how'd they know? When
0: did God get a hold of your heart?
1: Oh, you know, He got it a couple times. Um, he got it when I was younger. Um, we lived um, just blocks down from Dr. Robert Schuler, So we had the Crystal Cathedral and the Tower of Power. So as a teen, I was involved in the Tower of Power for a few years and you know such. And then I kind of drifted off. And then it was... But where did that come from? Because your mom, you said, didn't take you to church
0: very often. And your dad wasn't I, at the time.
1: I had friends that, you know, were involved and, you know... It was probably more of a want to be accepted in, you know, just kind of, hey, I'll do what the crowd's doing type thing. I'd, I didn't go out on my own very much. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't the leader of the pack type thing in my, in my younger days. So it was, you know, I just kind of I was cautious. I was very cautious over, over that. So, you know, just kind of following through there. And then uh, it wasn't we were in Texas, Early 1990s. Mm -hmm. I had my first vision that really brought me to Christ. It was kind of my reckoning, if you will. What was it? And I still still have these happen. My wife freaks out a little bit. But I was in the dream of... It was kind of like a wall. And I was just kind of going down this wall, kind of foggy on one side. You had the park and the families are playing and the balls are flying and the Frisbees and the dogs are barking, you know, just all the fun and everything over there. And I'm just kind of going down this thing going, I keep hearing choose. You got to choose. And as it proceeded, it started getting darker into it. And then the next thing I know, this figure comes up out of the fog and just grabs me and starts pulling me in this is where the screaming started coming in my wife's trying to wake me up and and i knew at that point that i needed to make a choice in my life of who i wanted to be and where i wanted to go Uh, And Jackie had always been, she was one of those that she as a small child took herself to church because her family didn't go. So she just found a close Baptist church she could walk to and she took herself and she'd always say, we need to go to church. We need to go to church. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, never really followed through with it. And then uh, it became a, okay, I'm going to go with you now. Uh, I need to interpret what just happened. And it was more of a, I went and listened to the pastor and, you know, you, you feel like when you're first timer, they're looking right at you and everything's being told to you. It's, yeah. And, and so I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm going to fill this seat every Sunday. I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to be here. Wasn't really present, but I was there. But I knew that something had been going on. So I kind of moved into that direction slowly in Texas. But when I came to Colorado, Jake says, we need to find a church. Okay, so we went and tried a church. Too charismatic for her. Too many speaking in tongues and running up and down the aisles. um, Scared her. Um, Too passive in another one. And Rachel was going to this elementary school, and she kept coming home from school saying, Dad, they're opening a church at my elementary school. That's cool couple days later dad they're going to open a church at our elementary and this went on for like a couple weeks and finally it just dawned on me this is a message I got to do something about this and that's when we stepped into discovery and helped build this church of there were 38 people there at the time to you know so I guess it was my daughter that really got me you know really going into church
0: What's one unusual fact that few people know about you?
1: I wouldn't know what to answer that because everybody, I'm, I'm a pretty open person. There's there's not a lot out there that I haven't already shared to everybody. I mean, you know, unusual fact. I guess if I had to, and I'm going I'm to kind of go into a, another little thing with this because of it. I'm 65 years old here in just very 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 short month here so i still love adventure i like to bleed you know people say you're too old for this you're you know but i you know well
0: that scar that's on your elbow yeah yeah that's that that, well i shouldn't say a scar it's still it's got stitches in it
1: well yeah that's uh that's uh, the most recent take one of the three plates out of my elbow that i did this past memorial day weekend Um, there was a time this year that i spent more time in the hospital and rode in more ambulances than i did in a campground i mean (laughs) it's crazy but yeah yeah Um, so i still like to be dangerous (laughs) <laughs> but dangerous for good yeah. you know but I, I still like to be dangerous I I tell everybody I'm gonna die young at a very old age I'm not ready to give up the things that I do which kind of got me into this thought of I need to write a book so I've currently started a book now that uh, a whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo you know right now you just kind of getting the thoughts in there and everything but it's a book and the title's called How Not to Bleed And the beginning is, if you don't want to bleed, then sit in that easy chair, watch that boob tube, go to your mundane job, come home, and repeat. But if you're not afraid to bleed, let me tell you how to live an adventure. And then it's going to have my memoirs of everything that, you know, from childhood, my career, everything, you know, that I've done, broken, escaped from, you know all that good stuff so yeah. Are you a reader? Yes I am yes I am but it has to have a lot of adventure in it to keep my attention. What
0: are one to three of your favorite books not titled the Holy Bible?
1: Oh I'd uh, yeah not doing the Holy Bible in there I think the very first one that I did when I was younger was the Hobbit series. I uh, again full of adventure full of life of fantasy too, but yeah, I mean, it just, it captured me. In some of my darker stages of life, a lot of the Stephen King uh, series stuff kind of grabbed my attention for a while. Now I'm reading more into the theology and philosophy without mentioning the Bible. So other books by other authors, just to grow my ability to help other people through their walk so just educational stuff now
0: do you have a life scripture a single scripture that you're like this is the most meaningful
1: I I wish I'd have brought my phone in here I've got a list of them that sit on there but um, did I not say be strong in the Lord do not be afraid go out and make disciples of all people, that's probably the one that sticks with me the most.
0: You an early riser, night owl, neither?
1: I flip a switch, you know. Sometimes I'll go to bed early just to get up, go do something early. Um, But a typical day for me, 6 a.m., 9.30, ready to start packing it in, so yeah
0: could live anywhere where would you live
1: i'm here i'm in colorado this is this this state um spoke to me and there are other states that i probably wouldn't mind going to but i think this called me and uh i love it here i love the fact that i can be in the mountains in minutes i can be on the rivers i can be you know Just doing just about anything uh, in Colorado.
0: Who's been the greatest influence in your life?
1: Through all the trials and tribulations, I would still say that my father was probably the greatest influence in my life. He taught me right and wrong. I mean, whether he was right or wrong in how he did things, it instilled values in me that... You know, I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else. I mean, he's the reason I became who I am, you know.
0: He really is. What do you do for self-care, to rest, to recharge?
1: I'm on the river. Wife and I will be up in the mountains. We have time set aside through our busy schedules and our ministries that we need to get away and go recharge, either alone or together. But we, we set that. That's important uh, in anybody's life to set that time aside and clear the noise.
0: and just, saw it consistently through the Gospels. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. He'd step yeah. away from the crowds. Yeah. Yeah. There were all kinds of people that still wanted prayer, that still wanted to hear Him teach, that still wanted right. what He could give them, right. but He would step away yes. and go
1: up away and right. pray and recharge and yeah uh, the river the model. river does that to me the mm. river does that to me i i tell everybody that i have a very beautiful wife of almost 30 years now but i also have a mistress and my mistress has more curves than my wife and that <laughs> is the river <laughs> and she understands she knows that that's time that i need
0: all right last three questions what does holy smokes mean to you And what has it meant for your spiritual journey? You talked a little bit about it earlier on, but.
1: We did. Holy Smokes um, means to me a fellowship of men and women that's truly hard to find in today's world. We kind of push that off to the side as society, and we're not out seeking fellowship as much as we probably should so i think the fellowship that that you get from holy smokes the men and the women that you meet the stories that you hear the successes and the failures that have come you can relate Mm -hmm. so well with that so that yeah and what was the second part of that one
0: what does it meant for your spiritual journey
1: oh um yeah, we, we kind of touched that. My wife sees that. Um, it, is, it has certainly strengthened it a lot from seeing so many loved ones come and go and to see the strength in the individuals that have suffered the losses, you know, that's encouraging to me. Mm. That's just encouragement because I'm, I'm seeing so much loss you know, this year for me should have been my loss. It should have been me. And we really thought it was going to be at one point. But again, God's not done with me. So to be able to... i s- glad. To, <laughs> <I'm> glad <laughs> thank you. Bro. Thank you. So, yeah, to be able to be part of that, really, it softens an individual. It really, it helps your heart Knowing that there's more after that, that we're going to continue on, and there's people there that's going to help you. Mm. All right. If
0: you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus.
1: Ah, I'll see him soon enough anyway. Um, Hopefully not that soon. No, not that soon. Not that soon. You know. But one would be Hal Moore. Um, I would love to be able to sit down with that man.
0: Is he still around?
1: No, he passed away, I think 2017. Um, But I would like to be able to talk to him about his heart. I know that he was a man of faith. He was Catholic. But to see what he saw through his life, what did you do? That's the question. What did you do? To recover from that. How did you handle that? Who did you use? Or did you just pack it away?
0: Summarize the story really quick for those that don't know. And I'm I'm one of them.
1: Well, Hal Moore, um, as a lieutenant colonel in the Vietnam War, um, had his troops, they would follow him to the ends of the earth. Not a Patton type um, driver, you know. Patton could have a real attitude sometimes, and people just disliked him, including his troops. Hal Moore had a, a even temperament, family man, man of God. Loved his wife, loved his kids, loved his family um, immensely, and then he loved the families of his troops as much. And his deal was that. When they prepared and went into battle, he was the very first set of boots on the ground, the very last set of boots back on to the chopper, and he made sure that no man or woman, I think back then it was probably just men, but were left behind. He brought his people back and he went through hell and high water to make it happen and he wouldn't leave without it because of his heart for these men Mm. and just again it just impresses me that you know he had that that stamina i just wanted to you know find out how did how did he deal with that in life afterwards that's number one number one i think uh, and I don't want to get political, but I think I'd love to be able to would have been able to sit down with Ronald Reagan. One, to talk about his film career and how the heck did you take that into politics and become the man that people were looking up to at the time. You know, the strength that he he endured in the time that we, you know, I mean, it was not one of the better times, you know, but we've seen that. I've seen a lot of it through the '60s, you know, through the '70s, '80s. So, but he just—he seemed like an interesting guy to talk to. Very articulate, willing to share, you know, just his thoughts. So, yeah, I think Reagan would be would be uh, another one. And the last one? Uh, kind of a weird one. Tozer himself. Ooh. A.W. Tozer yeah why intriguing interesting he the the stories he could write and how do you make that come so alive Oh, just just pick his brain I think it would be a good stick with him
0: hmm all right last question Mm if we're to meet one year from today and I got a bottle of your favorite single malt.
1: What are we celebrating? We're celebrating life, man. We're celebrating our successes. We're celebrating our ministries. We're celebrating the wins and the losses. I mean, we're just, we're we're celebrating Jesus, man. We're celebrating what he's doing for us right now. Joe Gersey, my man. Thanks for being on the Holy Smokes Podcast. Steve's been an honor, man. Thank you.